Welcome to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. At Village, we seek to be shaped by the life of Christ, to practice authentic friendship, and serve the world. You're invited to join us at either our Mission Campus or our Antioch Campus. For now, we hope you hear a word for your own life in this sermon. comes from John chapter 11 verses 28 through 36. You can locate this text in your pew Bible on page 979. First, let us prepare our hearts for God, to hear God's word. Dear God, thank you so much for being with us. When we read your word, we remember that the Holy Spirit is in this room and in our hearts. Help us to understand your scripture and in your and in your life and is your scripture and and live it out in our lives. Thank you for the hope and the encouragement your word brings us. Amen. When she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had left him. The, the Jews who were with her in the, house of, in the house consoling her saw Mary get up quickly and, get out and go out. They followed her because they thought she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt to, at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, the Jews who came with her also weeping, he had greatly—he was greatly disturbed in, the, in spirit and deeply moved. He said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, See how he loved him? The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord shall stand forever. So we are continuing our sermon series, The Gospel According to Pixar, and we're walking our way through four different Pixar films. Today, we're looking at the film Inside Out. And in Inside Out, we follow the life of Riley, and we see her birth, and we see who through her early adolescent years, think 13, think 14 years old. When Riley is born, the way the designers of this film portray it, she has a control center in her personality, in her brain. And that control center introduces to us five different emotions that carry us all through our lives. Joy, sadness, fear, disgust, joy, Predominantly, fear also, sadness, disgust, and the most potent one, of course, anger. So when we meet Riley at her birth, we meet these five different emotions, and they drive Riley's life, as they do for us all. We also discover that each of us have core memories, and in this film, they take the shape of a ball that's colored according to joy or sadness or fear or disgust or anger. 
those core memories shape who we are. Sometimes those memories are filled with joy, sometimes fear, sometimes sadness, disgust, and anger. Last night, I had the privilege of officiating a marriage right here, down front. Megan Spivak and Elijah Beal got married right here. As is typical, I came in with Elijah and his groomsmen, and we were standing there for a while while the bridesmaids were coming down our center aisle. And they stood there, these beautiful women, these handsome young men. Then the doors were opened, and here comes Megan Elizabeth Spivak with her dad, Jeff, members of our church. Megan grew up here in our congregation. They live in Boston now. Well, when they got together, finally, Megan standing in front of me and Elijah, I encouraged them to turn around and look at this congregation of wonderful people who traveled from far away, many of them, to come here to be part of the celebration. And I said, just take a minute. There's a lot going on in your hearts and your minds right now, but look around and just take a picture of what you see and sense the love here in the room for you. And I told them, that should be a core memory for you. And I hope it's a joyful one that you would just remember for the rest of your days this moment. That's the goal, right? Each of us have core memories in Pixar's film shaped by this orb. And those core memories could be joyful, could be sad, could be fearful, disgusted, could be angry. Let's meet Riley as she is born into the world. Okay, so you met joy, you met sadness, you met fear and disgust, and of course you met anger. Well, these five emotions accompany Riley throughout her young life, her childhood. She grows up in Minnesota, where she loves to play hockey, has a great group of friends. She loves their huge, expansive backyard. And everything changes for Riley just in a moment when her dad receives a new call to a job in the city of San Francisco. So she moves and leaves her friends and all that she knows, and she moves with her loving parents, who adore her, to San Francisco. And of course, everything changes. And other emotions beyond just joy begin to control her life. If joy had her way, joy would be the only emotion that Riley ever feels. But that's not what life is. And so the control center ends up, at one point, without joy and sadness. They both lose their place in the control center. And that leaves only the emotions of fear and disgust and anger accessible to Riley. You can imagine if your only options for emotions were fear and disgust and anger, things wouldn't go very well. So that's what's happening as they find their way in a new house. Their things haven't yet arrived from Minnesota, some kind of a mix-up with the moving company. And her mom and dad are making their way with their own emotions, as is Riley. This is a dinner conversation that takes place between mom and dad and Riley. This is what it means to be family.
You can imagine that things are not going to go well if all we can access is fear and disgust and anger. Eventually what happens is joy and sadness make their way back to the control center and things change and things get better. So in today's scripture reading, the story is one of family together. Jesus knows Lazarus, knows Mary and Martha, these sisters and brother of one another. They've become like family to him. So he gets word that Lazarus, whom he loves like a brother, is ill. Mary and Martha send the word to him and say, please come right away, because they know what's possible. They've seen Jesus do healings. They understand. But interestingly enough, Jesus delays. There in the town of Bethany, about two and a half miles from Jerusalem, Jesus is in Jerusalem. He could get there pretty quickly, but he delays, several days actually. As he makes his way there, Martha leaves the house. She hears that he's coming, and she runs to him. And the first things she says to Jesus is, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then Jesus says his marvelous I am statement to her. He says, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. All who believe in me, even though they die, they will live and those who believe in me will never die. Do you believe this to be true, Martha? And she says, yes, Lord, I do. That is the first faith proclamation like that in all of the Gospels. Then Martha runs back and tells her sister Mary, who is still in the house, that the Lord is coming, the teacher is coming. And Mary runs out and meets Jesus And she says the same thing that her sister just said earlier. Lord, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. And Jesus walks with Mary, sees how sad she is, sees the others who are grieving with her. And the scripture says that Jesus was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved Other translations say he was deeply troubled. One other translation says that he was moved with tenderness and compassion. And then as Jesus walks with Mary and sees her sadness and her weeping and the others of the family, Martha included, the scripture says Jesus began to weep too. Jesus was moved to tears. I know what I would wish for you is that all of your core memories are just filled with joy. There is no sadness, there is no fear, there is no disgust, there is no anger, but that's not the life we are called to live. Jesus knows that because he experienced that too. He experienced moments of joy and fear and anger and disgust. We see that in the gospel stories. In this moment, he experiences sadness. There are only two places in the gospels where Jesus is said to cry, said to weep. This is one of them. The other is after he enters Jerusalem on that great Palm Sunday 
and he weeps for the city of Jerusalem. Jesus knew sadness. So when I was in college in Seattle, my part-time job was to work at an experimental school on the University of Washington campus. It was a school given with a grant from the Department of Education. The school was for severe, profound, autistic children, elementary age. The classroom where I was an aide was for seven through nine-year-olds, severe, profound, autistic children. They actually came from all over the world. We had a child there from South Korea, one from Australia, one from Colombia. Those families moved to Seattle with their children to get them into this program. Our goal was communication. Our goal was to try help these children in some way communicate. We used pictures, we taught them sign language, whatever we possibly could. They were severe profound on the autism spectrum. My favorite of those students was Curtis, nine years old, about this tall, lanky, beautiful, funny. Curtis of the children was the only one that would look at us, so he made eye contact, and that gave us some possibilities. He was always joyful. He was always upbeat. So I was surprised when I came to class one day to work and saw Curtis in the corner of the classroom by himself. He had his hands over his head, his eyes were closed, and he was rocking to himself gently. I went over to another aide, a friend of mine, and I said, what's going on with Curtis? And she said, I don't know. He's been like that all morning. We've tried to work with him three different times. Curtis is in the corner, eyes closed, hands over his head, and he's just gently rocking back and forth. I had never seen this behavior before. So I went to Curtis, and I sat down next to him, and I nudged him, and I said, hey, Curtis, this is Roger. I'm so glad to see you today. No movement, no change. And I said, Curtis, he liked to be tickled at times. So I started to tickle him, and he didn't respond. No movement, no change. So I got up and went to the lead teacher, Becky, who's brilliant, had been teaching severe, profound autistic children for 20 plus years. And I said, Becky, what's happened with Curtis? I've never seen him like this. And she said, yeah. Every once in a while, I guess you haven't seen it, Roger, but he comes in like this. I talked to his dad who dropped him off this morning. Nothing changed, but this is the way he is today. So I went back to Curtis, bound and determined, because I did not want this little boy who I love so much to be sad. Tickled him again, no response. And Becky could see that I was actually pestering him out of my need, not his. And she came in and sat next to me and said, you know, Roger, he's nine years old. And for all of his life, he's received the exact same signals that all of us receive. But somehow in his beautiful brain, everything gets jumbled up. And he hasn't been able to tell us why or how or what's happening all of his life. He's on the spectrum as severe, profound, autistic. I think it's tough to be nine years old in general. It's really hard to be on the spectrum like that. I think he's just sad, and that's okay. 
And then Curtis leaned into Becky, and she started to stroke his hair. And he began to cry. Just sob, sob. And it broke my heart. But I realized, yeah, oh, Curtis, it's got to be hard to be who you are. Jesus knew that sadness. When he saw Mary and Martha, when he thought about the death of his good friend, Lazarus, Jesus wept too. So, eventually, Riley, so sad, decides to run away from home, wants to go back to Minnesota. She gets on a bus leaving San Francisco, is somehow going to make her way across the country back home. Joy and sadness find their way back into the control center, and at that point, Joy wants to take over. But she realizes that Riley just needs to be sad because that's where she is right now. And it's through sadness that Riley is able to come home and see her family. I want you to watch this. I know in our families, I would want us only to feel joy. But that's not where life is all the time. When Jesus sees Martha and Mary and their sadness, Jesus weeps with them too. Sometimes in sadness, the best thing family can do is just to be sad together. The author Washington Irving says, there is a sacredness to tears. They are not the mark of weakness, but of power. They speak more eloquently than 10,000 tongues. They are the messengers of overwhelming grief, of deep contrition, and of unspeakable love. Joy, sadness, fear, disgust, anger, we feel those things. And Jesus felt them too. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. Learn more about us at villagepres.org. And we invite you to join us again next week.